This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello there and welcome to episode 34 of the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. It's the long away weekend we were all looking forward to when the fixtures were announced. Croatia, then Spain. If you're anything like me, immediately searching for flights to Zagreb or Split as a base and a few days meandering across Europe to somewhere in Spain. Was it going to be Madrid, Granada, Alicante? So many options were banded about. It was all going to plan until I noticed that the date for Spain was my daughter's birthday. There was no getting out of that one. So I took that one on the chin, knowing that I'd be going to Croatia. (laughs) Anyway, welcome along. This episode should while away some of the journey to Spain, wherever you're heading to. Try not to think about me, jelly and ice cream. Wrapping paper everywhere, an overtired four-year-old not wanting to go to sleep. I'll be fine. I hope it rains in Seville. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for the feedback on the last episode. Hope you've had a moment to check out the website, englandstats.com. Can be a real wormhole for England trivia. And no doubt we'll speak with Davey again in the future. Coming up on this show, we'll take a look at Gareth's latest squad and we'll talk with independent Croatian football writer... Alex Holliger, and touch base with Fernando Campello again to talk about Spain. And we'll also have one of our lookbacks to come. Plus, we pay tribute to Kevin Beatty. So what's happened since we last spoke? Although it's uh, six years away, people are already getting excited about the fact that the 2024 European Championships will be held in Germany. UEFA awarding it to them ahead of Turkey. Shame, from a personal note, I like Turkey, having been there just for holidays, mind. Not been there in a footballing capacity. Obviously there's history there, but much like FIFA awarding the World Cup to lesser footballing nations, shall we say, in the past... I think this could have been a a positive step, although it does appear that the infrastructure in Turkey isn't up to UEFA's scratch. Having said that, we all know what Germany offers and they can deliver in the respect of stadiums, roads and rail, sausages and beer too. Of course, they had the World Cup in 2006 and some will remember the last European tournament they hosted, although from an England perspective, it's understandable if you've wiped that one from the memory banks. Although Stuttgart, Dusseldorf and Frankfurt will again be host venues just like they were in 1988. And the sale of Wembley seems to be taking a step closer with the FA board asking its council to agree the sale later this month. Fulham's owner Shahid Khan looking to pay around £600 million. So very soon it looks like we'll know one way or another But for my money, it's looking likely that it'll be in the hands of the American. So Thursday the 4th of October, shortly after the announcement of his contract extension until 2022, Gareth Southgate revealed his 25-man squad for the upcoming Nations League games. That's right, a 25-man squad. Usually, it's been 23. Although I'm sure by the time this is out, some players will have been injured over the weekend and pulled out. So perhaps the extra two is to cover that. Main highlights are the inclusion of James Madison from Leicester, Jaden Sancho from Dortmund and Mason Mount uh, from Derby, or currently on loan at Derby from Chelsea. And the return of Ross Barkley and Harry Winks. Absentees include midfielders Deli Alley, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Fabian Delph, all because of injuries. Uh, and as Gareth said, we'll, show, we'll play this later, This is an opportunity to look at them. Now we'll break down the squad in a moment, but don't forget we're still also missing Jesse Lingard, Adam Lallana and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I don't want to say it looks weak, let's just say it looks lighter than usual. 
Now, James Madison has excelled recently for Leicester. Three goals so far this season. Jane Sancho been instrumental in helping Dortmund top the Bundesliga. As I've said before, I'm well up for bringing in young talent who are playing abroad. But I did think I haven't seen any pictures of Gareth Southgate in amongst a German crowd. Did he actually go to Dortmund or, or Germany to see Sancho play in the flesh? It's probably irrelevant, actually, especially as videos are readily available these days. But uh, I don't know, I'd like to think that he actually went there and saw him. Mason Mount is again someone who's been in amongst the goals, but they are championship goals. As I say, currently on loan at Derby from Chelsea. Although, like Sancho, has overseas experience as he was at Vitesse Arnhem last season with great success. As the manager has previously mentioned, we're going to have to look further down the food chain. It's no secret that there is a lack of English players in the Premier League. I think it's something that we'll see more of in the future. And here is what Gareth Southgate had to say on those new additions. We, we've got a few injuries in midfield in particular. So um, Delhi, Jesse, Ruben um, has been missing, um, Fabian Delph. So there is an opportunity there. Then we have a decision on which way we want to um, use that opportunity. And we think there are some exciting young players that we've been tracking either through their clubs also with our junior teams um, it's a great opportunity for us to look at them we, we, we feel that um, we are always conscious of the balance of how quickly we put those young players in and raise expectation around them and make sure that we don't um, uh, we don't uh, detrimentally affect their development but um, we think they're performing well with their clubs they're, they're confident players um, we'd like to work with them now get, get a, they get a, an understanding of how we work we get a closer look at them quite a few of them have been tra have trained with us at various times here anyway um, so we're excited to, to see them I say Ross Barkley has been included for the first time in a while I've been a fan of Ross Barkley especially when he was firing on all cylinders for Everton. And here's what the manager said about him. Well, he's had a long period injured at Chelsea last year. And so um, that, that wasn't a reflection on, on the quality of the player, that he hadn't been with us, but he, he wasn't getting any football, really. This year, he's started the season uh, in the team at Chelsea. Um, he's a player that we know has... Uh, good technical quality is is grasping the tactical side of the game. I was interested to read his interviews this morning on that. So um, it's a good opportunity for him to come in. As I say, one or two of those opportunities might not have been there uh, if we'd had other players available. But as always, um, when you get opportunities within the squad, uh, people have come in in the past and done well and they stay in. And that, that's the way we work. Watford's Nathaniel Shalabar is also a squad member, called up before the 2018 World Cup qualifiers against Malta and Slovakia, but never made the pitch. wonder what Troy Deeney is thinking and the sort of conversations they'll have together, especially considering he's only played once in the league so far this season. He's played, mo I think he's played two games in the League Cup. And in that respect, the squad can often look disjointed, Players being selected after very little minutes and some who've played regularly often being overlooked. In fact, something that I saw written by Dom Smith over on englandfootball.org, Shalabar is a record holder in the fact that he's played 97 times at England youth level. That's at 16, 17, 19, 20 and under 21s. I have to be honest as well, I'm surprised that Daniel Sturridge has been left out. Two goals so far this season, including that cracker against Chelsea recently. I thought that he'd be in ahead of Danny Welbeck. Well, it's again, good to see Daniel back playing. He missed all of the end of last season. Um, he's um, a goal scorer. We know, again, the qualities Daniel had. He hasn't had a lot of football back in. So, um, again, we wanted to look at some younger players in that area of the pitch at this moment in time. Um, but... You know, we like Daniel in terms of personality and character to work with. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a player that I've, I've enjoyed when he's been in the squads, the, the conversations I've had with him and, and the way he plays. So, um, but And inevitably, Gareth was asked about Joe Hart. 
He's played all eight of Burnley's Premier League games. Has conceded 12, mind. Um, from Joe's perspective, I think we don't need to see Joe in a game at this stage to know what he can do. Um, I think it's great that he looks very settled. The move to Burnley has obviously worked for him. He looks confident in his game. Um, so it, we're looking at some other young goalkeepers that we need to know a bit more about. Um, Jordan obviously did superbly well for us in the summer. Um, but there's no way that uh, long-term Joe is ruled out. I just think at this moment in time it makes sense to look at the, the other three guys uh, underneath Jordan. Now the squad in full consists of the following. Four goalkeepers, Jordan Pickford, Alex McCarthy, Jack Butland and Fulham's Marcus Bettinelli who was drafted in for the last squad, as you may remember. Nine defenders, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joe Gomez, Harry Maguire, Danny Rose, Luke Shaw, John Stones, James Towoski, Kieran Trippier and Kyle Walker. Now, James Towoski was called up by Gareth Southgate for these two games, but according to Sky Sports News, as I'm just about to release this podcast, uh, he'd been suffering from a groin injury, although he was fit enough to play for Burnley against uh, Huddersfield in their one-all draw. Uh, he has since pulled out, and he's been replaced by Brighton's Lewis Dunk. So there is uh, no Burnley player, but there is now a Brighton player within the squad. Six midfielders, Ross Barkley, Nathaniel Shalabar, Eric Dyer, Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount and Harry Winks, whose last cap was against Lithuania in October 2017. And six strikers, Captain Harry Kane, who seems to have found his normal self recently, goals against Brighton, Huddersfield, and he got that done in the Champions League against Barcelona. He's joined by James Madison, Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, Raheem Sterling and Danny Welbeck. And I know you like the stats. It's a squad made up of players from 15 different teams. Tottenham providing five players. Liverpool and Manchester City, three. Man United and Leicester, two each. And one from Fulham. Stoke, Southampton, Everton, Brighton, Chelsea, Watford, Derby, Dortmund and Arsenal. And it's an average age of 23.9. So how will we line up? Both games, just as important. But if we're going to start strongest, then maximum points against Croatia is essential. Pickford in goal. Back three of Stones. Maguire. I don't know, a toss-up between Walker and Gomez. He favoured Gomez in the first game against Spain and then brought Walker in for that friendly against Switzerland, didn't he? Trippier and Luke Shaw's wing-backs. Midfield will be where we see a new face or two. Uh, alongside Jordan Henderson, a chance for Ross Barkley and Jaden Sancho to impress. Up front, Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. I'm usually wrong at this, so don't go putting any money on that. And quickly, going back to that contract extension for Gareth Southgate. It does take him up to the next World Cup. And I personally think it's a positive mood. Continue to build on what he's achieved in the summer. He is committed to the cause, and at the moment, I can't see who would immediately replace him in an English capacity. There are four English managers currently in the Premier League. Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, Sean Dyche at Burnley, both who I think could be future candidates, but not at present. And the other two, Roy Hodgson at Palace and Neil Warnock at Cardiff. I think we'll all agree on both of those two not being candidates. Anyway, we'll look towards Croatia next. So I'd like to welcome now Alexander Holika, um, an independent Croatian football writer. We, we may have seen him on the likes of 442, The Guardian, The Blizzard, and when Saturday comes. And he's, he's come on the Three Lions podcast to talk ahead of the game, Croatia v England. Alex, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. How about you, Russell? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Croatia. Big, exciting times in Croatia in the, on the football front at the moment. Yeah, yeah, but somehow the feeling is that the World Cup was a long time ago already and somehow the euphoria has wound down. So quickly? Yeah, yeah, because there are lots of 
problems in Croatian domestic games, so people get concentrated on other things, and you know nothing was done since the World Cup. All the promises that they're going to start investing in this or that, nothing happened. So people were focused on on other stuff. See, well, I tell you what, let's take us back to the to the World Cup um, and and the atmosphere and, and what it felt like um, to be in Croatia at that time. Yeah, well, you know, uh, normally the Croatian football public is very divided about the support for the team. Uh, and uh, during the World Cup, it was uh, the the feeling was very different. It, it looked as if everybody was just, you know, crazy for the team, especially as the games went on, as the tournament progressed. We didn't have euphoria before the, the tournament or even in the first or after two first games, but after that it just started and it was I don't know it's still hard to comprehend at this moment that they really played in the World Cup final this is not something that uh, that anybody I think expected and, and I guess it will take time to process that information. And did when did you think this could we could really get there um, because obviously we met England and, and Croatia met in the semi-final. How did you see that going? Did you did you really think then we can get there? Well, you know, we must admit that Croatia was, had considerable amount of luck in getting there. Uh, they had to play all of their games uh, in, in extra time or on penalties, mm. and somehow when you see how. I mean, they were good. Uh, I think they deserved to win all those games that they won. But equally so, they needed extra time or penalties in each every, in every one of them before the finals. So, uh, you know, I just saw how how lucky they were and how how much character they had because they always ha- also had to chase the, the lead. Seeing the opponents, I just thought, yeah, I mean. England is not going to make it, you know. Yeah. I mean, England but were good enough. They they reached the semis, and that's about, I think, uh, a fair fair assessment of their qualities at the time. And so now, I mean, the Nations League came round, and you say that things haven't promises were made in Croatian football that that weren't made. What what do you mean by that? Well, you know, uh, when something like that happens, then uh, politicians start jumping the bandwagon and uh, um, key men in the federation start promising things like uh, building a new stadium and investing in grassroots, stuff like that. Nothing happened so far, and I don't think much will happen in the near future. You had a president, president prime minister, who, who seemed very focused or, or behind the team. Um, and turned out for the yeah, final. Yeah, she, she seemed very focused on getting everybody's attention. Right, but not from a... She, has she one of the people that have said things and, and maybe not followed through with the promises, or or is it just a bit no, too no, soon? No, no, no. no I mean, uh, it's not the job of the president to to, to just say these things. Of course, yeah. Like she was just there for a crown promotion, you know, and... and to get everybody's attention, uh, to improve her ratings and stuff like that. Uh, and this is something that uh, I think uh, you just have to accept that this, this is something that politicians do. Mm. Yes, this can be true, yes. Well, we, we tend not to go on to, to politics on this podcast. but um, Yes, please, please. <laughs> let's, let's get off of that quickly. Um, well, that, that opening game in the Nations League against Spain, that, that really was a come back down to earth, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. It was... Uh, if uh, Croatia's run of the World Cup seemed unrealistic, uh, this was also a bit unrealistic, but on the other side, you know, uh, the difference is not that big. Uh, Spain is a better team. They are a better team than Croatia, but they are not 6-0 better. Uh, but you know, to be fair, they could won even more by by even more. The, this is this was Croatia that uh, I I don't think I remember them being so bad in years. 
Was it a a real bad day at the office? Ah, uh, well, I think uh, it may be, for one thing, uh, the coach's tactics were all wrong. He, he made some mistakes in just in the game plan, and also, uh, you know, it's different uh, to to come and play this uh, competition. I mean, what is the the, the the UEFA Nations League? Is it a friendly or is it a competitive game? Nobody seems to be sure. For Croatia, having been in the World Cup final, this is not something very serious right now. No. It is serious because they are because they are playing Spain and England. These big teams they wouldn't probably otherwise be playing in friendlies. But uh, I think even the the manager was clear that uh, this is uh, more of a preparation for the qualifiers than it is a genuine competition. Maybe he he just said that because you know <laughs> having lost six nil, <laughs> you have to lower down expectation a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, for everybody, it's like that. I don't know how serious you take that in England, but uh, for us, I mean, of course, uh, the, the the World Cup final had impact on that, on how seriously you, you, you see uh, this competition. But also, yeah, I don't know, it's just... It's for me personally. It's very hard to 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 see it as a genuine something. You can, you know, you should put everything in that. I don't know. Is that because you think it's a, a new tournament? Something that we yeah, haven't really had it before? is a new tournament, and it's not uh, it's not really clear what's it all about. Mm. Uh, what do you gain by you know progressing by winning? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's just, just uh, you know, glamorized friendly. Right. Well, I guess your your next game after playing England is against Jordan, I believe, isn't it? It's got to be better than playing the likes of Jordan <laughs> on a regular basis, surely. Yeah, this, is, this is really weird, yeah. yeah. I never expected <laughs> Croatia would play Jordan yeah, that's in, very, my, in my life. Yeah, I very mean, strange we, fixture. We, we have played some really bizarre nations before but Jordan you know I I didn't realize they play football I've <laughs> uh, never heard of anybody in football terms from Jordan is, is that being played at, in Croatia uh, I don't even know <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> no, how seriously you're taking I think, it I think it is yes, yes. yeah uh, okay well I mean this this game uh, against England of course uh, it's well documented here that it's going to be played behind closed doors um, in a in a city, is it? How do you pronounce it? Rekia, Rekia, Rijeka. Rijeka. Whereabouts in Croatia is that? Uh, that's um, on the coast, but on the northern part of the coast. So, like northwest. Okay, so up by the is that the Slov- Slovenian? Yeah, yeah, border? Near, the, near the Slovenian border, near, near Italy as well. Okay, I mean how. You, you've obviously got experience of playing behind closed doors. Um, what, what's it going to be like? Well, you know... Do Croatia take impetus from playing in this sort of situation? Would they rather play in front of a crowd? I think uh, it might be easier for Croatia to adapt because they have played behind closed doors before, mm. not just once, so... Many of these players have this experience, so they, they, it's, it, it's unnatural. I think uh, England players, having used to playing you know, in, in front of huge crowds, uh, it would be really strange for them. It could be an advantage for Croatia. Might be a case of the game takes a, quite a while to actually uh, get going or, or settle yeah, down. I mean, especially because it's not... A qualifier and it's this strange new competition and it's uh, no fans and you can hear uh, the sound of the foot kicking the ball and it's it's just weird you know I, I don't think uh, everybody it, it only takes you know maybe two or three players who are uh, not focused enough yeah. uh, because they 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 just you know, can't uh, bring themselves to to uh, to realize this is an actual official game and not some kind of a 
I don't know, training session or whatever. True, yes, yeah. I mean, on, on the, the subject of players, Croatia have had, are you, correct me if I'm wrong, you may have had more, but I've, I've seen you've had three players, Dejan Subasic, veteran Chorluka, Mario Mandzukic, all retired um, since the World Cup. Are they, they're big, big shoes to fill, aren't they? Yeah, 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 definitely. Who, who, I mean, who, we look to step into those. Who's going to make an impact? Yeah, in goal we now have Lovre Kalinic, who a few years ago was supposed to transfer to Aston Villa but didn't get a work permit for some reason. He's now in Belgium and doing really well, as well as uh, young Carlo Letizak, who is also now in Belgium. These are two very good keepers, and I don't think will have too many problems with, with that position in the future. Mm. And not even now. I mean, they're, they're both fine now. In defense, Chodloka was already a veteran and he, he didn't play much at the World Cup. So uh, it was only expected that he should retire. Well, but in, in attack, it's more of a problem because, yeah, I mean, m- many people thought I was... Also, for a while amongst them, that Mandzukic didn't uh, even deserve a starting place in the lineup, but he proved all of us wrong at the World Cup. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he was never the, the the kind of player whose style suited Croatia because he doesn't do much without the ball. He 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 runs and uh, yeah, I don't don't want to get too deep into that. But anyways. Uh, that there is no Mandzukic now, no Kalinic now, who uh, has been sent home from the World Cup uh, because he didn't like being a sub. Right, <laughs> so yes. He, he wasn't uh, even called up now. So it, it's different. Uh, uh, in um, For manager Dalic, who, uh, for his plans, he da- now doesn't have a clear situation uh, regarding centre-forward position. We have... Kramaric, who plays uh, in Hoffenheim in Germany, who is uh, the best from all the solutions that Croatia have. But he's not like a pure striker, and Dalic would prefer to play with a pure striker. He prefers to use Kramaric uh, you know, you know, behind the striker or maybe on the wing or something like that. Right. So uh, the other guys are just not, not that experienced and... Uh, it is a problem for now, but it would also be a problem even if Mandzukic stayed because he's a veteran as well. And uh, I mean, it's funny to say that because he just scored two, two goals for Juventus in Derby against Napoli. But, you know, everybody has been thinking about him in terms of, you know, veteran who is about to retire. And even if he stayed... I don't think it would last for much longer than maybe a year or so. You would sort of have to draw the line before the sort of the qualification for the next tournament for the for the Euros in 2020, really, don't yes, you? Have to think if, about that. Yeah, if you're preparing for that, you can't really count on Mandzukic playing there because he'll be what 35, 36. Yeah, and uh, and. Uh, Especially because that uh, he is the, that type of the player. He is the player who is all you know strength and stamina and running and, and you know being crazy. Uh, just uh, it just doesn't. Uh, he 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 wouldn't be able to maintain that level with years. Yeah, and from the Premiership side of things, player. I think there's only two players that I've seen in your squad that will recognise from over here: Dejan Lovren at Liverpool, and uh, it's Chelsea's Matteo Kovacic. Um, yes, yeah. will uh, will recognise. Are they likely to start? Uh, yes, Lovren, unless he's injured or, or something, uh, he will start. He is uh, now a member uh, of the of the starting lineup. And he has had a he had a really good World Cup, I think. Whereas Kovacic has never been a starter, really. Uh, it's really hard for him to get a starting place when you have Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic in, in the starting lineup. So, if if uh, the manager will put him, then that would mean playing with no holding midfielder, and it, it would 
it would cause problems for for him structurally. Right. So Kovacic also he has never been that good, you know, mm-hmm. for, for the national team. He appeared, I think, forty eight times so far, something like that. He, almost fifty times, okay. almost fifty fifty caps he has, but never was considered a starter. And yeah, I mean. Each time he played, uh, there were serious, uh, you know, problems with, with with his display and with his understanding of the game. Uh, he, yeah, he's a he's a very difficult player to fit in the team, as I'm sure Chelsea fans will soon find out. Right, and you, you also mentioned there, Luka Modric. Um, I, I, I get the, the impression there's probably pictures of Modric all around Split and Zagreb and. Dubrovnik everywhere. He's the man, isn't he, for Croatia? No, you're wrong there. You know, really? Uh, I don't know if you you probably haven't been following the situation, but uh, there is a serious problem with Modric in Croatia. And he's a very divisive character, a very divisive person. Uh, people love him, people hate him. Oh, okay. You know, uh, Modric is now uh, to start his trial for perjury in Croatian courts. Right, yes, a, I was aware of that, yeah. This is a really big thing, you know, and I don't want to get too deep into that either now. Not not but, too much politics, but, no. Yeah, but let's just say that there are sizable portion of people in Croatia who are, who do not like Modric as a person. I mean, okay. we all appreciate him as one of the finest players in the world, hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's also uh, top man off the pitch. Okay, no, that's fair enough. It's, it's all an education to me as well. Yeah, and this is uh, this kind of a sentiment I think is particular in the split area and, and in that region where he comes from. Actually, right, so it's really difficult for him. I see. No, interesting. Um, okay, well let's get on to the game. I mean, how how do you see it going? You said it's maybe not taken so seriously. Do you, can you see England winning this one then? Well, I think when you compare the two squads now, after the World Cup, I even think England is a bit better. Uh, I really enjoyed what, what they uh, tried to do during the World Cup. I think they are really onto something. Mm-hmm. They don't have such a quality player like Modric in their squad. But they have really interesting and quite young players, uh, and, and they have a manager who I think knows what he's doing. I I didn't see England as favourites now because Croatia just seemed somehow, you know, how do you say that? They were so charged at the World Cup that they just you know spent all their charge there. I right. <laughs> so there they. There's the emotional problem here and maybe a problem with motivation. Uh, there's also a problem, some problems uh, between the squad and the federation. And yeah, I mean, we don't really know what's going on there in the locker room. Mm. And a lot of people thought that these three players were not the only ones who, were, who would retire. We all expected actually Modric to retire as well, but he didn't. We'll see. It's, it's difficult to say, but I think England, maybe also because they lost to Croatia at the World Cup, will, will you know, try it a little bit harder because of that. And Croatia now seems seriously weakened, uh, not just because these players retired, but also uh, we don't really have a left back right now because uh, the, our regular left back is here. He was discovered a heart condition and, and he's not playing. Right. And the manager has been trying some new approaches, especially in the attacking third, uh, which didn't work at all. Against Spain and, and and before that against Portugal, we'll see. Yeah, I'm not I'm not confident about Croatia winning this one at all. I see. Well, I mean, it may be the best of three. Obviously, we've Croatia won the first one. We've got this next game coming up, and then you can come to Wembley, and we'll, we'll see who wins the best of three. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you you remember what happened when Croatia last won at Wembley? I do. That was the yeah, last competitive. Yeah, after that, uh, England won five one and four one. That's right. I was gonna. And I was gonna. Fucking destroyed Croatia after that. <laughs> that was a young man called Theo Walcott, wasn't it? Yeah. So, Alex, thank you very much for that. Where can where can find people find you um, if they want to talk Croatian football? Well, they can find me on Twitter. That's best, I think. And your your Twitter name is Alex Holliger, correct? Yeah, just Alex Holliger. I'll put a link to that on our on our very own Twitter page as well. Um, perhaps we can speak again. When uh, the, the the second leg, the next game comes around in November. Okay. Good, good luck to England. <laughs> Thank you. Good luck to good luck to Croatia against Jordan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we will need that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Right. Cheers. Now, following the Croatia game, we travel west to Seville in Spain to see if we can overturn that Wembley defeat. And it's uh, it's time to go back to Madrid this time to speak to Fernando Campello again. Hello, Fernando. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks uh, for having me. No, you're welcome. We spoke last time um, before the, the game at Wembley, which Spain won, didn't they? Yes, yes, we won for the first match of, with Luis Enrique as a coach, and uh, was a, for me it was a bit surprising uh, that we won that match. But uh, well, the the beginning of the nation leagues for Spain has been fantastic. How did that go down back in Spain? Well, uh, you know, uh, we didn't. We have a lot of uh, expectation with Luis Enrique because we know he's a good coach but we knew it was a, a difficult beginning for him because playing England playing Croatia two teams that maybe were better than Spain in, in this moment and, and beating both of them was was good and as I told you before there was a part of the journalists uh, the press in Spain that was a bit against Luis Enrique but they had to be to keep quiet all this time you know because they they, they have nothing to say <laughs> they had to bite their tongue did they yes so does, does that mean they're waiting for him to fall though well uh, I think the, uh, the thing here is is calming, you know, it's calm. Right. So the last the press conference yesterday was good. I mean, some journalists trying to go the way that Luis Enrique doesn't like, but uh, he he was he was fine. He was funny with them. He was. I think it, um, things are getting better. When the results are good, you know, everything is fine. That's right. And in the last minute of that game at Wembley, England scored. And we, we all thought that that was a goal, but it was disallowed. Yes, yes. I, I thought it was a legitimate goal. I didn't think it was a foul. But what was what was the Spanish perspective on it? Uh, well, you know, in Spanish, always the, the opinion is, is very, you know, there are opinions for every for everybody. And some, th- some people thought it was a, a, a goal, a legal goal. Some people thought it was a good, uh, it was right the right call to disallow it. And I, I think it was the, the right call to disallow it. Uh, I mean, I, I can understand both both uh, decisions, but I, I agree with the with the final decision. And also, it was the, it was it meant that Spain won. That is, uh, yeah. Well, you followed that up with a well with a cracking win over Croatia, didn't yes. you? Six nil is shows what what Spain are really capable of. So, you, I, I imagine you're going into this game maybe as as favourites now against England. And Luis Enrique, he announced his squad, didn't he? Yes, yes. Uh, he Yesterday was the day uh, with uh, the second list of Luis Enrique, second squad with 23 players and so new, some new ones. Uh, there are some missing. The four players that are, that are absent from the previous one uh, are injured, so he had to replace them. And well, the the new ones are Johnny Otto from from Wolverhampton from the Wolves. It was a player that was a Celta de Vigo in Spain, and maybe it's the biggest surprise of the of the list. Then Mar Bartra from Betis, which is a player that he had at Barcelona, central central defender, and Coque from Atletico Madrid, which was one of the big misses of the first uh, list. So. 
And then uh, as forward Alcácer also is the new one. Uh, he's playing now with Borussia Dortmund. And even though he didn't play a lot of minutes in Germany so far, but he played very well the minutes he has been playing. So I think well, there's no, no complaints with the list. Again, the controversial uh, thing is that Jordi Alba, which is a left back that Luis Enrique had in Barcelona, and he was always the, the starting left back in, in Spain. Right, is now is now missed, and I think it's a personal personal issue with the with Luis Enrique, and the, there was a lot of there were a lot of questions about this in the press conference, but Luis Enrique didn't want to answer those questions, so he said uh, he doesn't comment about players that are not in the Spanish team. And how is he performing for? Barcelona at the moment. Yeah, Jordi Alba is, is good as well, as always. You know, he, he gets uh, very well with Messi. You know, he relates very well with him. And you can uh, saw that uh, in the last matches, the Champions League. It's a fantastic left-back, of course. Uh, Marcos Alonso and Gaia are good left-backs too. But I think, well, he's performing better than Gaia. But it's the decision of the coach. And as long as Spain is, is winning, Spain is winning. And... and and the players are performing okay, there, will be, there won't be no complaints. So the game's being played down in Seville. How do you, we call it Seville. Do you call it Sevilla? Sevilla, that? yes. Sevilla in Spanish. <laughs> and so it's been playing at Real Betis ground, which yeah. I went there a long, long time ago, and I believe it's been revamped quite a bit, their ground. Yes, it, the, there was this this uh, new building uh, in the in the same the rebuilding of this mm-hmm. stadium took a lot of a lot of time um, and there was a stop because they had no money and well a lot of a lot of uh, troubles uh, with the past owner etc. And now the Benito Villamarín is, uh, is 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 complete. It's a great stadium and the atmosphere in Sevilla in Seville is always uh, the best for the Spanish. Thing and indeed it was the is normally is the chosen place for the for the most important matches and historically you know because uh, when we had to beat Malta for instance the eighty six it was we we went there every time Spain need a good atmosphere a good crowd uh, they they choose Seville and as a city I, I can vouch for it so it's a wonderful place but tell us tell us more about it. Oh, well, I lived there for for three years. It was uh, for me. It's a fantastic city. The people there is just uh, so so open and, and welcoming to everybody. And it's fun. It's nice weather, especially in this time of this time of the year. Because yeah. in the summer is too hot, <laughs> and, and the food is fantastic there. So it's a fantastic place. If 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 in the England people, the English supporters are going there, it's a great holiday for them. Have they have they got their metro installed now? Yes, yes, they have some some metro some metro station, but not it doesn't cover a lot of the city, you know. Right. So, so you can go walking almost everywhere. But the Benito Vallamarín, the Betis Stadium, is a bit uh, outside the, the city center. That's right. I remember it being a um a, yeah. a little bit of a bus journey out. Yes. Oh, that's 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 good insight into to what it's like. Thank you and. I was going to ask you. We we had you on before, but we didn't we didn't touch on on your job. You're actually a a football scout, aren't you? Yes, yes, a football scout and intermediary. I've been working as freelance scout for teams, agents. Uh, I try to you know uh, open my way in this in this difficult world. <laughs> so, what does it involve? Well, I normally attend games and. and uh, write reports or most of the time I'm scouting through video a lot of players for teams for agents when they have a request of uh, or they need to know the level of certain players um, and also for lately I've been working for a team in, in in Malta helping them with the with the recruitment because they they need to revamp the the squad you know a lot of new players and we've been working with uh, yeah just trying to to check a lot of players they had offers from a lot of offers from agents of players so i need they want me to let them know if these players were good enough if not if they 
uh, have to take them off trial or sign them directly, that stuff. <laughs> Does it to keep you on your toes? Are you um, flying around a lot or traveling? No, no. I mean, the the scouts that play that work for the top teams uh, mm-hmm. used to travel, especially in the second half of the year, you know. Uh, so they travel a lot uh, for uh, before the summer uh, transfer window. But in small teams, you don't have budget for <laughs> you don't have budget for anything. So you just do what you what you can. Uh, so watch some matches uh, around and then uh, take a lot of video. Video scouting is the most used tool for a lot of teams. Okay. And is there any any one player that you've that your name is next to that you've scouted? Who's the biggest one? Well, it's, it's a bit difficult always to tell because you know you have to know which thing are you you know are you're looking that player for. But I've been enjoying. Uh, I've been watching a bit of Norwegian uh, elite Serien, the top the top league of Nor- Norway, and uh, there's a, a striker called Haaland that I think I was already signed by Red Bull Salzburg. That's uh, that's I think is is the next big thing, and yeah. there are. There are good players everywhere, you know. You just have to, you need your time to watch them, to analyze them. But uh, there are good players in, in any league in, in the world, uh, especially in the Premier League. There are a lot of good players. <laughs> Sounds an enjoyable job. Yes, well, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fun most of the time. <laughs> I guess. Oh, great stuff. Um, okay, well, well, thank you very much for, for joining us again. Um, do you, you're bound to say Spain will win this one. Do you think that will that will be the case. Well, I think the in the in the first match and the 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 last match we we won the the match was very close and and, and even without that <laughs> late disallowed goal, yeah. I think England maybe he des- they deserve a, a draw or the draw would be the the fair result. So I think this match can be again a bit close. So I don't think there's I mean Spain is playing at home, so maybe they are slightly favourites, but not a clear favourite in this one. Well, I, I wish I could come over and watch it, but I'm unable to for this one. But Fernando, thank you very much for joining us. Once again, uh, you're on Twitter, aren't you? If anyone, yes. if anyone wants to speak Spanish football or, or a potential scouting opportunity. Yes, <laughs> at uh, Nivets, it's uh, N-I-I-B-E-T-S. Okay, great stuff. As before, I'll, uh, I'll pop a link to that on our own page. And uh, Fernando, thank you very much once again. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Now, it's not just the seniors with matches this month. Other games taking place shortly for our youngsters include uh, the under-17s in a four-team tournament taking place here on home soil. Steve Cooper's boys face the USA on the 12th of October at Chester. Russia at Shrewsbury on the 14th. And finally, Brazil on the 16th in Telford. Tickets, well, they're reasonably priced, should you be in those areas. Take a gander at the FA website for more details on that. Under-18s, taking on Sweden and the Czech Republic, both at St George's Park, and both of which appear to be friendlies. The under-19s, they've got Euro qualifiers away against Portugal, and then they're back to St George's Park to face Macedonia. And the under-20s are in action against Italy at AFC Flyde and uh, the Czech Republic, also at St George's Park in a couple of friendlies. Now, the under-21s, they are in Euro qualifying action with a home game against Andorra at Chesterfield, which I saw as an advert was on BT Sport. And then they're away to Scotland. Names we may be familiar with in that squad include Ben Chilwell, Phil Foden, Tammy Abraham... Dominic Solanke, Reese Nelson and Ryan Sessignon. And the Lionesses, they have also been in action. They beat Brazil by a goal to nil, thanks to Fran Kirby's first half header. Uh, and as we've said previously, they've got games lined up later this month against Australia and Sweden. We'll have one of our lookbacks next.
Where were you? Wednesday the 10th of September 2008. After a long summer with no international football for England due to the non-qualification to the Euros in Austria and Switzerland, South Africa World Cup qualification began in earnest. Firstly, a trip to Barcelona to face Andorra, which saw Joe Cole grab a brace as England won 2-0. Then four days later, we travelled to Zagreb, Croatia, for, on paper, arguably the hardest tie of the group. Two years earlier, England travelled to the same venue and came away with a 2-0 defeat. It will be remembered for Paul Robinson failing to deal with a Gary Neville back pass. So there was a score to settle, but this time under the guidance of Fabio Capello rather than Steve McLaren. This is our Croatia look back. The venue was the same, Stadion Maximir Zagreb. Stadium I always find odd when I see it on the telly. Four individual stands, all raised high up. No supporters on the touchline. A running track surrounding the pitch, with cars parked on it back then. Not dissimilar to how Stamford Bridge used to look back in the 80s. Capello made four changes to the team that faced Andorra. The starting eleven that day was as follows in a 4-4-1-1 formation. David James in goal, back four of Wes Brown, Ashley Cole, Rio Ferdinand and captain John Terry. Gareth Bale, Frank Lampard, Joe Cole and Theo Walcott in the middle. And Emil Heskey and Wayne Rooney up front. Amazingly, there were to be some very familiar faces in the Croatian side that England would again face in the 2018 semi-final. Vedran Shorluka, Ivan Rakitic, Luka Modric and a certain Mario Mandzukic. But it was a night for a different young face who had taken the place of David Beckham. 2,600 England fans made the journey. The rest of us had to make do with watching it on Satanta back home. England in all white, whilst Croatia in their away of predominant blue. And it was Croatia who began the game brightly, by far the better side. David James called into action on a number of occasions. England with stray balls and late challenges. Until the 26th minute, when a 19-year-old Theo Walcott capitalised on a defensive error from Croatia and from the right-hand side rifled in a low shot to put England ahead. And it'll come for Walcott and Joe Cole is free and Walcott has scored for England! Maybe a defining moment in a teenager's life. The day that a boy becomes a man. The game continued to half-time with Croatia still pressing but it was England who went in ahead. The second half, Croatia became physical, stopping England by any means, and came to a head when Robert Kovac led with the arm on Joe Cole, hitting him hard on the head, drawing blood from the temple, and giving him symptoms of concussion. Kovac saw red for that. I don't know, they just obviously... The disputing the decision. I, I saw blood trickling down the side of Joe Cole's head. Uh, but obviously, they're not happy with the decision. It did catch him with his elbows. He led with the arm, and it's a red card, I'm sure, from the referee, Lubos Mitchell. He brandished a card to the sky so quickly and put it straight back in his pocket, but I'm sure it was red for this. Three minutes later, Wayne Rooney passed across goal for Theo Walcott to score almost a carbon copy of his first half effort. Amazingly, England were two up. Lampard, Heskey, and Rooney opts to pass. Theo Walcott, what a night for the teenager. And what a night it's turning into for Fabio Capello in England. The three lines pushed on. Jermaine Genus had come on for the injured Joe Cole and turned provider for Wayne Rooney to make it three Four minutes later. And Genus will keep it in. And Croatia stopped for a moment there. And here's Wayne Rooney to make it three. It just gets better for England. Frank Lampard was to have a well-taken goal disallowed after good all-round play. But the referee determined that there had been a foul in the build-up. 
Croatian manager Slaven Bilic replaced Olic with a young Mario Mandzukic, who was to prove the difference between the two sides when they would meet in the World Cup semi-final. Ten years later, he pulled a goal back for the Croats. But here comes Cerner, trying to restore a little bit of pride. Maybe now, Mandzukic backs his first international goal and Croatia at least are on the score sheet then Wayne Rooney again turned provider threading through Theo Walcott to run on using his pace and make it four for England Rooney lovely ball it's Walcott it couldn't be could it it is you know it's a hat-trick for Theo Walcott just sensational Theo Walcott has scored a hat-trick as a teenager for England, his first international goals, and England are in the process of recording one of their most stunning victories for many a long year. What a night, what a game. The England fans sang out the Arsenal man's name, who four years earlier had been taken to Germany as a 16-year-old. They became the first side to win a competitive game on Croatian territory, and take a large early stride towards qualification to the World Cup in 2010. Now with Spain taking a large lead in the Nations League group by points and goals scored, we may have to hope for another similar result again this month. Now, I don't generally like to end on sad news, but as time goes on, people pass away who have contributed to our national team. And I think it's important that we acknowledge them. I'd like to think of it more as a a tribute to them rather than mourning. And from my perspective, and I mean this in the most respectful of ways, it's an opportunity for me to look into and appreciate some players that were before my time much like Paul Madeley, whom I spoke about on a recent episode. Kevin Beattie made nine appearances for England between 1975 and 1977, scoring one goal, coming in a 5-1 win over Scotland in 1975 in a British home championship match at Wembley. If you're going to score, then against Scotland, he's the one to do it in. Now his debut came against Cyprus on the 16th of April, aged just 21, and he played under Don Revy and Ron Greenwood. Kevin was part of the Ipswich team that had such a good spell in the late 70s and early 80s, winning the FA Cup and the UEFA Cup, although he did miss that final due to injury. And 1973-74 season saw him win the very first young PFA Player of the Year, and is widely regarded as one of the best Ipswich players to have ever worn that famous blue shirt. Here he is, scoring that goal at Wembley against Scotland. Ball ignored. Now come. Ball. Francis to ball. Francis again. Ball. Good ball to to Keegan. The only support is now arriving. It's Shannon Lane and BT. Born on the 18th of December 1953 and passed away on the 16th of September 2018 after a suspected heart attack, Kevin Beattie was 64. Rightio, that'll do. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. 
safe journey if you are off to Spain. And I'll be back after that game to look back on both matches. Thank you to Alex Holliger. You can find him on Twitter at Alex Holliger. And also to Fernando Campello. He's uh, Nibets, N-I-I-B-E-T-S. So I'll put links to both of those uh, on our own Twitter feed, of which we are at Three Lions Podcast. Search also on Facebook. Have a chinwag there. And we're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and also threelionspodcast.com. I'd be grateful if you get a chance, leave us a review wherever your podcast download place may be. Uh, All the usual stuff, subscribe, thumbs up, all that usual stuff. And as you may have seen on Twitter and Facebook, I was recently treated to a chat with someone who was part of the England setup for 20 years Now that is coming soon as a podcast. And if I can sort it out, I may even get a teaser on the next podcast. But until then, thanks for listening. I'll catch you again soon.